0: It's Rock and Roll! <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 16 of Look, It's Rock and Roll podcast. So, as you can see, Mr. Julian Gill, are esteemed host is not with us. He is tending to a critical fire. So not a literal one, of course, but a critical <laughs> fire at work. So uh, we're going to be taking over and showing him that we can do it. We're a team. Right, guys? So with me today right. is Mr. Ken Keenan. Hello. And on his right, or my right, I don't know how it is on your guys' screen, but we have the ever-pleasant David Donnelly with us today.
1: Good evening, says <laughs>
0: Nice to have you all. And of course, I am Mark Anthony K, or known as Marcus Almighty on the board, the KISS board, if you're referring to that. Uh, So I'll be hosting today's affair here. And today we're going to be talking about a record that truthfully, I don't know a whole heck of a lot or didn't know a whole heck of a lot about until I started researching it more for this episode. But these two fine gentlemen are a plethora of knowledge and will be oh, yeah. giving us all kinds of, you know, tidbits and information in regards to this fine record. And what record are we talking about? We're talking about Sweet and Desolation Boulevard. So as we talk about this, yes. we will go back to the beginning here in the beginning of our interactions with this record. So first question up, gentlemen, is when did your interaction with Sweet actually commence? Let's start off with Ken.
2: Oh, OK. Um <laughs> I thought you were going to start with David, but that's fine. Um,
0: Well, we'll get to him. Yeah,
2: so (laughs) my real first... I was thinking back about this, and my first uh, time I noticed Sweet or a a song from Sweet was back when they released Little Willie. I remember hearing it on the radio here when I lived in Colorado, Um, so that must have been around 70 when, I don't know. I'm sure, sure when Willie came out, it could have been 72, 73, somewhere around there. I guess it was earlier. It was
1: either seventy-two. earlier. Seventy-two. I think Funny Funny was seventy-one, and then Little Willie, and then we okay. bam, bam, seventy-two
2: as well. I think that's that's when I first heard it, and I remember I thought I heard on the radio, I'm like, wow, this this is cool. And then my my sisters was like, they're like, oh no no no. <laughs> and then that was kind of the. I didn't really hear it maybe once or tw- you know, a couple times more on the on the radio, but at oh. that time I used to buy the 45s singles, um, so it was right up my alley. Even though I didn't buy it at the time, because um, I was listening to stuff like the Raspberries. I had the single "Go All the Way" and and uh, uh, you know "Magic" by Pilot and a couple other things, you know. So I was into that catchy stuff. Um, so yeah, that was my first. Uh, you know, the first time I noticed sweet, but I didn't, I hadn't yet, you know, purchased any music from them yet
0: hmm. Interesting, so what I'm curious about is Mr. David Donnelly since you oh. live in the fine nation of the United Kingdom, and uh, these mm-hmm. gentlemen are from this great country of yours, what was your interaction with them?
1: Well, I I was so young, that's the thing I was so young, I was about six years old, I'd say um you know and uh and funny enough my my one was was just that like when i was a little kid i discovered my dad's drum kit at the age of five Uh, but we used to play jazz because my dad was a jazz clarinetist you know Mm. and uh i hadn't found my music as well but i had started to sit in front of the tv and watch programs like top of the pops which you know i think is is pretty international even though it was a english telly show pop show and um And I, I I remember I saw Sweet doing "Wigwam Bam and uh, a friend of my sister's or I think it's the brother of a friend of my sister's had the single and I asked him if I could borrow it because I actually had no records of my own at the time. Obviously I didn't, you know, I didn't, I I had some novelty like Peter Rabbit on red vinyl or something, (laughs) Um, but, uh, but no, this was the, and so I would borrow this, this single and it it, it sort of that was my I'd chosen them as my band that was the band because I flipped it over and um anyone that knows about Sweet knows that they were allowed to write and record their own b-sides in the early days and so you got things like New York Connection and Done Me Wrong or Right and stuff like that which were really heavy like Deep Purple or something so it wasn't so I suddenly kind of ditched Wigwam Bam and thought wow this is this this rock stuff is is where it where it's at sort of thing and so um i believe i got the teenage rampage single for for a birthday present or something like that but uh, it was a long time before um i actually managed to start getting the albums but i will i will come on to that and yeah. um but yeah yeah basically i would say around about 1972 was hmm. was my first sort of uh realizing that the you know, it's like Mick, Mick Tucker's big drum kit and just the way they looked and the fact that they annoyed people. I like
0: it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing for me, as far as my first interaction with it, again, and most people who watch this podcast or the KISS podcast will know and won't be surprised when I refer to this, is that my older sister, mm. once mm. again, was the catalyst in my hearing of this band. And what was the first thing that I heard? Well, when she started going into high school, you know she'd come back home she had the binder with all the you know band names etched yeah. on her binder and pen and stuff like that and she started amassing a rather large forty five collection and a regular twelve inch album collection <clears throat> excuse me and I remember one day being in my room and hearing from the from inside there this song playing do do do, do 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 are you ready Steve uh, and, and it started playing and I'm like well what the hell is that and then next, you know, Blitzkrieg Bob came on playing. Oh, no, and...
1: I know. I don't think it did. Ballroom Blitz came on.
0: Sorry, that's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry. See, see how well I know the band. Uh, but anyways, uh, when it came on, I right away was connected with it. Like, wow, what is this? Because I, I, I had never heard it, and it was because it was so very British. I mean, Jane never got into the whole japan yet and all those bands yet she yeah. was kind of early in getting in to this stuff right so it was yeah. kind of almost her first sort of introduction to the british end of stuff because then it came duran duran and all those other I things think. later right but that was my first uh introduction to that was just hearing that single yeah uh, in in the in the house when it was uh when she first played it now of course uh everybody would probably be wondering of course uh, you know sweet have a pretty interesting collection of albums there's not only UK versions but you'll have like US versions of the records and stuff like that yeah. uh what was your first sweet album that you actually owned
2: I'll go uh Ken <laughs> my first sweet album uh so yeah years later a few years later i guess um i think it was 70 i want to say it's 78 um uh i bought sweet level headed and uh and that that was my first sweet album and the reason i got it because the the song um love is like oxygen which really doesn't sound like any other sweet song necessarily it sounds more like elo um Mm -hmm. and that's what because i was an elo fan and i thought it was elo at first um Mm -hmm. just the way you know the way it sounded and so uh I bought the album, I thought, oh, okay, you know, and then the songs were totally different. I mean, uh, you know, California Nights and, and some other songs on there, um, but they were they were really good and well-written songs and well-performed, and I, I love that album. I really do love that album. So that was the, the first album I got um, for them, and then... Then I got desolation Boulevards <laughs> after that, but uh in knowing that yeah, oh well, yeah, I used to hear these songs on the radio uh, back you know when I was younger, but maybe I didn't buy albums at that time, like I said, I was mm. sometimes would buy a a forty five or something so yeah level headed was the one um and I think it's a good I think it's underrated as as a sweet album
0: interesting
1: David well uh, I, th- this is where i get the opportunity to big up my sisters uh, because your, your <laughs> sister sounds amazing your sister sounds absolutely phenomenal she's liked all that sort of stuff she's like Joan Jett or something who's really into bowie and sweet and stuff like that anyway <sighs> but yeah the one time my sisters are very different you see they weren't like that at all my uh, my, my sister Ruth appreciated the Bassity rollers uh, really? my, sister, my Helen was really into uh, she appreciated cliff richard and mm-hmm. uh, my younger sister Gainer uh, appreciated well diapers probably because she was about <laughs> two. Uh, but basically, my two elder sisters for, for my birthday in 1974, they bought me Sweet Fanny Adams.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Nice. Which is the uh, their first their first sort of proper I proper album. They did have I mean before this, believe it or not, there was an album called Sweet's Biggest Hits. Um, hmm so there's a really bad one but this is true. the reason i'm showing this even though it's not desolation boulevard is uh mm-hmm. this is this is the copy this is the copy from 1974 that my sisters gave me oh wow and it's mm-hmm. still looking pretty good mm-hmm. still looking pretty good yeah very nice but, uh so yeah that was the first album uh how album i got um and that that really started the the sort of obsession that you get when you're sort of not even a teenager yet and you, you know, but you are into music and it's so frustrating because you haven't got much money and stuff, but there's uh, you know, there's a, uh, I don't know whether you want it now, but my story behind Desolation Boulevard, Shall I go for it now? Yeah. Why not? I, yeah. Well, because, um, you know, because you're probably going to ask, you know, how did you come across Desolation Boulevard? Um, but it was basically, I was into sweet by this point because of the, because of the sweet Fanny Adams one um and i my next door neighbor but one was a lad called richard cox the hysterically named richard cox <laughs> i'd like to think people call him dick just to uh but anyway i don't know what happened to richard cox i didn't see him after i was 11 but anyway he was sort of like a friend uh you know my mum sort of said oh this lad he seems to like you know go and play with him you know sort of thing when you're about six or seven you have to go and call on the neighbor you know yeah. And he, one day, he just produced this Desolation Boulevard album, hmm. and and I, I just, well, it was one of those, I'm not proud of it, but I don't care, but I used to go around and, not, and, and say, you know, do you want to come out, you know, are you free to play, sort of thing, and he'd go, oh yeah, and we'd go up to his bedroom, and I wasn't interested in whether it was the chemistry set or whatever that he was showing me, as long as we could put Desolation Boulevard on, hmm. and I wasn't from a family where they'd get it for me, so... Um, and the other weird story about that is, again, before I got it, my mum and dad, like I said, my dad was a jazz musician, and so we used to know quite a few top jazz musicians. And uh, um, have you ever heard of Cleo Lane? Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. It's, so was that a no from both of you? <laughs>
0: no, I think Ken said yes. Yeah, yeah, I have. Oh, Let's, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Clear Lane and Johnny Dankworth. Well, basically, my mum and dad kind of knew them. So she had this big fate one day. And she was on RCA Records. And so she had, on one of these stalls that she'd put up and stuff, she had a raffle, and it was just loads of RCA albums. I remember David Bowie's Young Americans was there, obviously a lot of Clear Lane albums on RCA, and Desolation Boulevard, and I spent all the money my mum and dad had given me, which is just pocket money, buying raffle tickets, and I didn't get it. And I didn't get it. And it was just horrendous. And then I think the following Christmas it might have turned up that's that's when when I that's when I got it and again this is this is the original this is the this is the one mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, it's got a very tasty gatefold sleeve yeah. and uh, the, the photo goes through to the back as yeah. it was. Nice. and then the only other thing is it's the usual you know orange RCA label nothing nothing more with that but you did get you did get a lyric sheet yeah um in this country huh, interesting. And, uh, so yeah my two stories about desolation boulevard is a this poor lad that i used to knock on his door almost on a nightly basis just so i could hear it um because he wouldn't lend it to me and um and the clear lane kind of is unbeknownst yeah. to her tortured me by uh putting it <laughs> on her stall. do you know what the thing is because my mum dad, near, I'm sure if I'd have just gone up to Clear Lane and just gone, I really, really want that album on there, but I can't. If I give you my pocket money, can I have it? And I'm sure she'd have let me add it, have it. Yeah. Because now I understand about promo copies and stuff like that, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. RCA just gave her a box of albums. That's what happened.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so anyway. you know, Yeah, So, but, before we go on to the album itself and talk about it a bit more, the one thing that we probably should talk about really quickly mm-hmm. is is this your favorite sweet record and if not what would you say is your favorite sweet record
1: yes it is <laughs> yeah. there you go yeah Ken? Ooh,
2: it, it's it's hard it's really hard i think like i said i mentioned level-headed and and uh i really like both albums you know they're they're different they're very you know different um so you know is the, a lot more yeah, rocking. Ken, huh?
1: Ken this, this, this is where me and you go, go part of the crossroads because Level Headed was the first album that, yeah, because I started at Sweet yeah. F.A., you know, Sweet Fanny Adams, right. and I threw the whole lot. Level Headed was the first disappointment. For I you? Did, I, well, yeah, and they were, like, they had beards on the front, like one of the, you know, Andy Scott had a beard, uh-huh. and it was the white folk. I just I didn't know what well, was there's, going Well, there's
2: on. another situation where they turned the album cover was different for the US version yes. and the yep. oh, and the oh. British British version. So the inner gate lo, gatefold of the American version had the pictures of the guys, right? Yeah. Uh, they, that was on the cover of your yeah. version, but that was on the inside of the gatefold. Of yeah. my, they yeah. had a gold cool, that cool graphic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that they did for the outside. Of, but anyway, I, I have a even though they're different, I, I call I call it a tie for me. I, I just love them both so much in their in their own ways. Um, I think they're both brilliant in their own in, in their own way. So yeah, I, I can't pick a
0: favorite. Mark. Okay. Well, for me, um, I'm relatively new to the Sweet discography, but I do have you know the Sweet Fanny Adams, and I do have Desolation Boulevard, and I have the one that's after that one. When the title is? Give us oh, me. yeah give us a wink that's mm. it and i have them on digital boo i know i don't have any vinyl of them right but you know that's that's coming up you know and that leads me perfectly into our next topic of discussion because the reason why i don't have desolation boulevard yet on vinyl in my collection is because i am hammering hard on the table and saying i am not gonna settle For a U.S. copy, I want that blasted U.K. pressing (laughs) of the first of of that record of Desolation Boulevard, because the question here that we're going to talk about now is British versus U.S. version. (laughs) Which version do you prefer, and why? And I'm just going to start with this because I was listening to both of them religiously for the last week or so Mm -hmm. now, back and forth, back and forth, and I come to the conclusion that. Not only with Sweet, but with bands like White Snake and other bands that have also had records that came out in UK versions and US pressings, like Slided In and stuff like that. I've always tended to like the UK versions of the records better. There's something about the guitar sound on the UK pressings that I like better. And, and when I listen to it, you can hear that that Marshall sound, you know, like that really tube amp-ish kind of sound and when the US pressing version comes on it sounds like it's a little bit more produced it's a little bit more compressed the sound the drums sound a bit different they don't sound so you know in a nice kind of drum room it sounds a little bit more smaller and I don't know it, just the, the mix of it sounds different to the mm-hmm. point of where I just don't enjoy it as much and that's you know I, I find this happened to me quite a bit because even with the Beatles stuff. You know, there was a big uproar about how the American Capitol Records versions mm-hmm. of the Beatles albums were drastically different yeah, from the yeah. UK ones, right? And I've always preferred the, the UK ones as well in that situation. So let's go back now, this time to David. Out of the UK and the US pressings, and I think I'm going to know what you're going to say, but which of the two versions do you prefer?
1: It is the British one, it's the UK one. Um... But there's it's specific. There are specifics as to why, not just because. Oh well, it's yeah. I've got to go with the British version, you know. <laughs> um, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a American version of a Manic Street Preachers album, and I I'd much prefer the U.S. Um, version, you know, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not being jingoistic by just sticking by my country. What it is is that my favorite track. I, I'm I'm probably going to blow one of your questions later, but my favorite track is Turn It Down. And turn it down isn't on the USA version, Um, and also ballroom blitz is. And uh, you know, depending on how the conversation goes and stuff, one of the things I was going to point out is that, as you probably gathered by the beginning, is is um, I'm not really into their singles. I know it's crazy to say that I'm not into blockbuster or ballroom blitz and stuff. I liked it when they were heavy, and that's why I like the the albums because. They would, you know, they would have loved to have been Deep Purple, but they, um, they just went. They their kickstart was the glam rock thing and and songs that were written by other people and stuff like that, you know. So it was, it's kind of their own fault for going for it. But on the other hand, you know, it's a shame because they they were a really good hard rock band. So the reason I like the U the UK album is because it's even got even though it's got Fox on the Run on it, it's got a sort of heavy version of Fox on the Run. Yeah. Um, and when it came out as a single they put the keyboard synthesizer thing on it and you know made it a bit sweeter oh if you'll excuse the pun oh, there we are. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah it's the UK hands down but only because um, you know Turn It Down isn't on it and it, I, I can't do without that that'd be my desert island track um, and uh, Boring Blitz is on it and it's yeah. yeah <laughs> so there you go that's my answer
0: so let's let's hear what Mr. Ken Keenan uh, says. Is it going to be you know a salute to the UK or is it going to be a, a US version? Well,
2: let me start and say I hadn't really heard uh, the UK full UK version until just recently.
0: Really? Really,
2: I, I didn't really hear it. Um, I just kind of always stuck with the US version. Mm-hmm. Um, so having said that, though, uh, I have been listening to it a lot um the last few weeks both versions and um i still have to go with the u.s (laughs) version Um, um, and because of I, i i heard those songs for you know ballroom blitz on the radio a lot yeah so and and i also heard fox on the run and to me where you know david likes the heavier fox on the run i like the sweetened up again the pun mm. but well, version I think the single version is so much better than the the UK album version that's just again that's my taste yeah. I like it a little bit uh, slicker and, and, and more candy like I guess you could say mm. um, but uh, and then uh, there's other songs on the US version like No You Don't now this is this is the case where we you know you're talking about the versions um i I could see what they're trying to do in the u.s they weren't as popular yet really in the u.s
0: yeah
2: like they were in the uk they were pretty popular right at that time oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so they're trying to get them you know uh, to be a hit over in the u.s so what they do is they take you know the what five songs from sweet fanny adams fanny, right
0: yeah. album
2: and put it on the desolation boulevard which they called it here um mm-hmm. even though it's not a true desolation boulevard album in, in a sense it they kind of made it a best of album in my, yeah. yeah right right it's kind of like a great it's really more like a best of in a way uh, yeah. uh in the u.s i mean i get they could have called it a you know, best of sweet, I guess, but they're trying yeah. to introduce them and get people on board. Uh, so, so yeah. I, and I also, you're, you're talking about the versions, different versions. I've had other versions like the, you talk about of other artists. You mentioned yeah. the Beatles and, and so on. Another one was Neil Sedaka around the same time. He had mm-hmm. UK albums, but the albums, when uh, Elton John signed him to his record label, to put out in the u.s they made of like a best of two in a way of yeah. a compilation on one of this album so it, yeah they, they seem to have done that a number of times um yeah but but just to i guess finish the other reasons i like it is because you know n- no you don't um again these are songs off of sweet finding out it's like a like i said it's just like a greatest and no you don't was covered by pat benatar later um, I don't know if her solo albums, which she did a, you know, bang up job on that. Uh, so there's, it's there's no lit up in the US version. It just goes, 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 goes. Where uh, listening to the UK version, there's a couple points in there that, that I kind of ha- have a head scratch on, couple, yeah. so- couple songs. But we'll, huh. we'll get to that.
0: Well, you know, it's it's interesting because the, the one thing that I liked about the UK over the US one is that I thought that the UK version was extremely more daring in my opinion. I mean I'll give you I'll give you case in point is the very first time I listened to this record and I got to the man with the golden arm that was like where I was like, okay, now Uh this is where they radically are different than the Americans because the American record people are probably saying, Ah, Charlie, there's no way in hell we're putting on a song with a seven minute drum solo on it. You know, we're getting that the hell out of there and we're putting something else in there instead. But for me personally, that shows to me like art, you know. If you're gonna do that on there, I mean, that showed to me that they believed in the band enough that they let them put that on there. It was very James Bondish to me when I heard that the first time. Yeah, well, absolutely, like something that came out of, of off of a movie almost. Yeah, that Mark, kind of it,
2: to interject that that is from a movie. The the beginning part is from a movie called the man with the golden arm oh,
0: that's so, oh, that that yeah. which
2: in that the beginning theme before the drum solo kicks in and a lot of stuff it was written by uh elmer yeah, bernstein elmer
1: bernstein, Ellen bernstein which
2: is the brother of leonard bernstein see there you go elmer wrote a lot of sound uh movie soundtracks. he's actually mostly known for writing western a lot of the mm-hmm. old westerns you know john wayne and so on he, yeah, yeah. He wrote a lot of that. So that's that's where that came from. It was just an interesting thing.
0: Yeah, because I didn't know that, and this is what's fantastic, it. that's why I think it was great that I was going to host and you guys talked about it because you guys have much more knowledge of the music than I do, and I proved it right here. So, <laughs> I mean, that right away kind of stood out to me, that they did something like this on the record. Because like I said before, I mean, when I, when I heard this, it took me right back to that conversation that we had before when we were talking about Hotter Than Hell, how Peter Criss say, I wanted a drum solo on <laughs> right. Strange Ways. probably you heard know? the
1: sweet album. Maybe
0: and... he heard this album, and he said, well, if he can have a drum <laughs> right. solo on there for five minutes,
1: I want a drum solo on it, you know. Mick Tucker is pretty good, though. That's the thing. He is. Oh, it was he, he was a good drum solo. <laughs> and, I agree. And I don't know whether you know that, um, but even back in, in 74, 75, when they, you know, were or 75 particularly, I suppose, because of this album, but when they did it live, the technology they used, which was cutting edge at the time, but, you know, ridiculous now if you think about it, but because it was an impossible, like Bohemian Rhapsody, it's an impossible track to do totally live. So they had a tape of the orchestra bit, you know, the brass bits and stuff, but the band would join in and play the bit and there. And then when Mick Tucker went into his drum solo, there was a screen above and they synced it up so that basically he would kind of play drums against himself. So the recording hmm. would play a little bit, and then he'd do the next bit. Because there's bits in the solo, if you know the solo, where it sounds like it's question and answer type thing. He goes yeah. okay. and um, and so even back hmm. then, they you know they had quite a good stage show for that. I mean, it's uh, amazing, really. Great,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, that's those are these are our first impressions of it. And now that we've kind of put that you know issue to rest, yeah. let's kind <laughs> of go. And dive in deeper into this record now. And we'll start with this kind of question What were your first impressions when listening to this album, either now or then, as far as, let's say, let's start with the sound of the record. What were your first impressions of the sound of this album? Let's go back to Ken first with this.
2: Well, the sound was. It's pretty darn good. I mean, it's pretty. You know, crunchy kind of rock um, for me, uh, at least on the pressing I have. Um, I, I can't tell you who, who produced it, but I know uh, David was showing the the version. And actually, you it was on RCA over there. Uh, yeah. Where in, in the United States, it's on yeah, uh, you know Capital, yeah, Capital, yeah. Capital Records. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounded. I mean, they made it all sound the same. I guess they did a good job of leveling it. Cause you know, when you when you combine multiple albums of material, yeah, and yeah. singles, cause you have a couple singles here, then you have the Sweet Fanny Adams mixed in, and then the other yeah, I mean, like- normal Desolation, which is only four, only what three songs between the UK. And the U.S. version are the same yeah. between the two albums.
1: Yeah. Um, the Sweet Fanny Adams was um, produced by Phil Weinman, and, okay. uh, and Desolation Boulevard was Mike Chapman.
2: Yes, um, so so there you go. I mean, so whoever and uh, I guess have to I have to check into it, but so whoever did the job of putting it together had oh. it all make it sound, you know, pretty. Pretty good. Like it. Like it made me think that yeah, it was all done at the same time. Though I didn't know back when I first listened to it, all the details about it or anything. I we we didn't have Wikipedia or whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So David, impressions of the sound the first
1: time. Well, obviously you got to go again. I defend myself with I just loved everything about it. Um, because I you know I was six six seven years old. You know. Mm. Um, I, I didn't really know how you made records or uh, that sort of thing so it's really weird to say then because I was so young I didn't really know a lot but I did, it did it was magical for me especially the drum solo the way that the toms were mixed left to right and you know that sort of stuff and then it had gongs in it and timpanies and stuff and then all the and the, the guitar sound was really fat and what have you and uh, which is, is is weird i mean andy scott used to use you know marshals and stuff like that but he also used to use a pig nose if anyone i don't know um oh, yeah listening would know what a pig's nose is which is it's like a it's a dressing room amp basically
0: it's a little it's now small you
1: have, thing you have in a dressing room to warm up you know but uh, so he, he was an interesting and like the guitar solo on turn it down for instance is just mad he goes you know it's. It was really. He was great rock guitarist, the So to then, you know, my answer to then, it was absolutely amazing. And now when I listen to it, I still really enjoy it. But it's quite weird. I sort of think, God, the drums are really dry. You know, like on that on that drum solo. You know, you can and also there's a couple of clicks of the stick where he, he goes around the kit and he obviously just now most yeah. people have stopped and done it again but uh, maybe Time wasn't on their side. I mean, it's not really a mistake, it's just that I know exactly what it did, because I've done it. Mm -hmm. You know, you accidentally clack your sticks together when you're doing something a bit flashy. Mm -hmm. But amazing control, and, uh, you know, cover of My Generation at the end, fantastic. And uh, so, yeah, now, I would say I understand that it's, you know, it's probably done on 16-track, if not 8-track sort of thing, but probably 16-track, and that, you know, the sound is then being recorded as they sounded probably sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I, but I, I wouldn't really want to do anything to it, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh it's raw, you know, it's, it's pretty raw
2: didn't, and I like
1: that. So did, yeah.
2: Yeah. Didn't they, uh, I read somewhere that they recorded a lot of this stuff more live.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah. It's possible. I mean, as far as my first impression, I think I had the, the benefit that I'm actually a very new comer to the whole sweet thing so for me my first impressions are pretty recent actually and like i said before when i first heard this record the british version of it i was like wow like the guitar sounds i immediately fell in love with i love that kind of raw marshall sound you know with the les paul or even if it's a i'm pretty sure it's a it's a les paul he probably used it sounds like it to me but uh
1: he did like a, um, a, a a strat from time to time, but yeah, I'm, I was
0: gonna say yeah. there, it could be a strat as well, right? But it, it and I I kind of liked that 70s dry drum sound that was very standard for the day, that kind of drum sound, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, it it got me to like so interested in it. I was kind of even trying to figure out, you know, where did they record this? What kind of board did they use there? You know, I got so interested in it because I really liked this kind of. Raw in your face, and that's why I immediately took to it more than I did the U.S. one because the U.S. one kind of I kind of envisioned, you know, someone like John Colander coming in and saying, "Okay, guys, we got to really clean this up a bit. It's got to sound really polished for radio." You know what I mean? Like I can imagine someone like that coming in and saying that for it. So yeah, my first impressions were I, I really dug the sound of the U.K. version. Now, since the sound and the production is kind of hand in hand with this you know because you know the production on these records are pretty raw you know it's pretty you know live performances and stuff like yeah. that so i think that we kind of covered our opinions mm-hmm. on that while we That's discovered right. the so, uh, the sound of it but let's go on to the singles uh julian put down here three songs he put the 16s turn it down and fox on the run so let's talk about those uh so, what are your opinions on, for example, the Sixteens, David? Uh, let's go to you.
1: There's the Sixteens. Okay. Backed with Burn on the Flame. Oh, okay. Which is which is on the special edition of Desolation. Mm-hmm. If you want to uh, check out the B side of that, yeah, Sixteens was was fantastic. I mean, like I say, it's um, my answers are going to be quite similar in that sort of I I just was obsessed by this album at that age. And, uh, you know, today I still find the 16s, yeah, it's a bit of a soppy song, maybe about sort of, you know, uh, coming of age or whatever and all that sort of stuff. The song about about Bobby and Billy and all that sort of thing. But it's kind of, for the time, it was, I loved it. It was a story and also it had a lot of changes in it as well. It wasn't just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, all that sort of stuff. It was was a kind of intelligent, sweet single, really. And, And it kicks off the album, so it's a good one to kick off with.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the one thing that I noticed immediately is that, you know, you had the U.S. one that has 16 after Ballroom Blitz, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. that, that, that it got bumped by there. I mean, I, I guess in the U.S. it made sense to do that. But, yeah. you know, Ken, Ken, what are your thoughts on uh, the 16s?
2: Well, the 16s, uh, and yeah, I don't know if they released it as a single in the U.S., but I guess these are the singles – as they were released in uh, yeah in england um uh so the 16 i think yeah the 16th is a great song that is on the, U, the u.s version so i i'm very aware of it and i think it's a great song um uh you know it's a, it's a catchy tune and i can see why they released it as a single i, I like it a lot I, I think the other day i think it was last week i was listening and and, I, and then i wasn't listening but then i kept hearing that song in my head. So, obviously, it's catchy. It was it was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm hearing that song. So, but, yeah, it's a, it's a good
0: one. Yeah, definitely. Good and choice. Then, I mean, now, uh, Turn It Down, which is listed here as mm. one of them, is one that's on the UK one, but according to the list here, it is not listed on the US version
1: yeah, of the record. I mentioned, I mentioned this point. That's why I like the UK version, you know? Yeah, that's so I'm guessing...
0: If we go to David, as far as that single, uh, there you go.
1: There you go. Turn it down with yeah. someone else will on the back.
0: <laughs> so I'm guessing that your answer, David, is that this is a, a, a huge favorite, obviously, of yours.
1: Oh, it's just, just it's it was, it was quite sort of, when you think that it was 1975, I think it was written in 74. Um, but it was kind of, it's, it, it. it that's why I liked punk rock. I think is because it was it was the it was probably one of the most simple songs there. But the riff in it, and then the solo in it, and the and the kind of quite one of the things that Sweet um, let themselves down on uh, sometimes was their sort of almost Gene Simmons esque lyrics. <laughs> yes, yeah. And <laughs> lyric prowess was not good sometimes, and mm-hmm. uh, you just sort of think, yeah. That went down on the back of a cigarette packet ten minutes before the studio <laughs> closed, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was really good this this one, and and it's just that riff again. Like I say, I'd never heard anything like it. It was so heavy to me, and 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 it shows that it was the wrong one to um, release, I suppose, because it only it got to the lower reaches of the chart. It was their first flop um, in terms of singles. They obviously pulled it back, but they that that was. Okay, and I must say, when I saw it in the shop, I was, you know, I was the right age for it. I was looking through and just looking through the singles and saw "Turn It Down." I didn't even know it had come out. Um, mm-hmm. And and one of the reasons was because uh, the British uh, radio and press and what have you so uptight, so <laughs> uptight that um, it got banned from Radio One, which is the only really? station that it Yeah, it got banned wow. for the phrase for the phrase for God's sake. Oh, oh, no. Boy. Wow. The, the chorus is, oh. so for God's sake, we'll turn it down. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they didn't have a go at the Beach Boys, for God only knows. Or you read. True. You know, yeah. it's like, there's it's, it's, it's just, for God's sake, people say it all the time, oh, for God's sake, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. But anyway, that for the BBC, they just felt that might offend their delicate listeners' ears. So, um <laughs> So there you go it just didn't get promoted and what have you so but i honestly think it's my favorite track on the album it's my favorite single of theirs and if i had to take say 10 singles to a desert island it would be one of them wow
0: very good so there you go so uh mr keenan your thoughts yeah well I'll turn it down
2: uh I'm in listening to the the uk version um i like the song but i understand why it flopped it's really not single material Though so it's cool. a good rocking rocking song and a cool song. Yeah. Uh, like you said, there's you know, great riffs in it and, and, and so on. But uh, I just you know, as far as a single, I yeah, I, I that's a that's kind of a head scratcher than picking that. Um, cool. over, you know I I you know, obviously later I guess they did Fox on the Run. Um, yeah. um but I guess that was maybe their only other choice. Because they're not going to put the man with the golden arm as a single. That's impossible. (laughs) No,
1: that's true. But they did um, one thing that Julian didn't write down, but he probably knew, but he probably thought, well, it's not really relevant. But Mm -hmm. around this time, Andy Scott actually did release Lady Starlight as a single. Mm. It was on RCA Records, and that always confused me. I mean, that must have caused some friction within the band, because the track is on the album as sweet. Yeah. But he, re- he released it as an Andy Scott solo single at the, at around that time, you know. What's
2: interesting about that song is when I first heard it, um, and it's, it's not on the US version either, but when I first heard it, I thought, this sounds like uh, something that is going to be coming in the future, which was a little bit of that level-headed yeah. Sound yeah. And, and the the way that it, you know the song goes, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That it's that, that, kind of a hint. Yeah. Of, but
1: uh, I have to that. say, I, I appreciate it now. I appreciate it now. But um, when I first heard it, I have to say, because I you know it's the rock stuff that I like. When I first yeah. heard it, I thought it sucked like a porn star. <laughs>
2: <book>. <laughs> right, Yeah.
1: It was... Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't my favorite, so I used to skip it in you know sort of thing. But uh, I mean, now I realise it's uh, you know it's 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 a good song. It's well produced. It's it's nice. It's uh, I've got more yeah. I've got more time for it now.
0: Interesting. <laughs> so of course that takes us to the final single mentioned, which is of course hmm. Fox on the Run, a song that's very familiar to you know people who like sweet, and of course it's very familiar to people who are that's into cool. Ace Freely, as he also covered it. On his uh, anomaly record, I believe. Mm. And, uh, yes, he nice,
1: did. Right. And a nice desolation boulevard back sleeve. Back yeah. to that. Black Very nice. Black. That's the uh, German. Nice. Movie. So,
0: and as we mentioned before, there are two versions of this song. There's a US version and a UK version. Yeah. Uh, so I guess your impressions of this, I guess, will vary on first of all which version of it you like and you know your thoughts on it so i guess let's go to david what are you, were your first impressions on fox and the run
1: well i mean uh i like i say i i, I first heard it on the album so i love the album you know i love the, the album version and it's again it's heavy it's uh it's only maybe two guitars and it's it's like a band playing in a room that sort of stuff and uh but because they did a really good job on the single. I love the synthesizer at the beginning and yeah, yeah, all that sort yeah. of stuff, and uh, and the fact that there's a keyboard riff instead of the going straight into the main heavy riff and stuff. So, if you ask me which is my favourite, it, it's the Desolation Boulevard version because it's the original and what have you. But I do I love what they did with the uh, the English single and um, oh sorry the single single or whichever one uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, yeah, really, really good. And um, but there's you know there's like about there's a, a couple more guitar overdubs on there. There's keyboards on there, and, the, and you know there's a, the, the, I think the block harmonies are sort of you know a bit mm-hmm. more reverb and stuff. They you know they they went to t- I believe they did re-record it, didn't they? They didn't. They did. It's not it's not an added. They didn't add stuff to the original version. I don't know. Yeah, it, it yeah, sounds it no. sound like a
2: re-recorded because it's a yeah, little yeah. different. Sorry,
1: yeah. that was my subtle way of saying I know they re-recorded it, but I didn't want to sound yeah. arrogant.
0: Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure. That's, <laughs> that's very correct. British of you. Yeah. <laughs> so Ken, uh, your opinion?
2: Yeah. Well, I kind of mentioned it earlier uh, in this, you know, in the show here, um, but that I I I heard that you know version, the single version on the radio when I was, you know, probably about, you know, 12 or 13, whatever. Um, so, and I really loved it. And like you said, that little, the way it, the synthesizer, you know, leads into the song and then it kicks in and it, it is a lot, uh, between the two versions, it's a lot, I want to say thicker. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. It's a better production.
2: Yeah, it yeah. Have... Thicker. Yeah. It, it, and it, more guitars and uh and and like you said david the, i noticed they yeah, had the vocal a lot of more you know harmonies stuff going on on um, yeah. the song and and again that's that's kind of stuff that just you know i was like ooh, i you know give me more of that stuff because i that's what yeah. i like so i just i just love that song uh one of my favorite songs by by the band so um but you know the other version was different it was kind of a shock in a way hearing the uk version because i was so used to the you know the single um it was like oh wow you know why is this why did they do that you know it's kind of thing
1: but it was okay yeah i think the album the album version would have struggled as a single because it's pretty long it's five minutes something i think
0: Mm, yeah yeah
1: Yeah, well
0: it it is considerably longer i mean the the thing about it i found interesting was that i had known the american version because ace did his version based on the American one his version of it is very much more along the lines of the American version wow. of how it's played out and laid out and that's why when I heard the UK version of it I was like ooh this is different and I actually liked it better because I, I kind of liked that they didn't have the keyboards there and stuff like that and I liked the bass line a lot better in the UK one How what he's mm. playing underneath there and the chorus part and all, that, and all those parts in there he's has a very good bass line in this song but you know the song is pretty important obviously it was pretty popular there is a top of the pops performance of it as well i think that they did where uh they're obviously miming it because there's a part where they zoom over to the guitar player who's supposed to be playing the keyboard part at one point and he's clearly walks away from the keyboard and still playing the keyboard for like (laughs) pretending he's air keyboard playing (laughs) so obviously he wasn't too thrilled with having to mimic it i think uh but you know it it obviously helped them you know, yeah. get the more notoriety. Oh, they, they, yeah, had a definitely. Good,
1: they had a good sense of humour, though. They always used to do something on top of the pops because they did think it was a really kind of weird thing to be doing mime into your record when you're really good musicians, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so Andy Scott in particular, Steve Priest used to dress up ridiculously and, and just go over the top. But Andy Scott's thing was always some sort of funny thing. So, yeah, the moving away from the keyboard while still playing it, that's one <laughs> thing. But there's another one, I think it's Blockbuster, where... It, you suddenly realise halfway through he's sort of he's he's got an egg, extra leg, and he got someone <laughs> to sew on an extra leg, <laughs>
0: um,
1: or it's like an extra arm comes over or something. So someone yeah. in the costume department or whatever just fixed this up, and it's you know. So they were always kind of playing a few tricks on the top of the pops people because they thought it was a bit daft, you know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> interesting. So we kind of talked about what we thought were our. You know, favorite songs from these records and stuff like that, so I think it would be kind of pointless to point out again what our favorite songs are from the record, but one thing we haven't talked about, and that's always an interesting discussion when it comes to records like this, especially for people like David who love this record so much and Ken as well, is do you have anything on this record that you strongly dislike? If you do, what what two things do you think you would pick that are the dislikes on this record? (laughs) Let's go to Ken.
1: Oh, okay.
2: All right, um, all right, uh, okay, I'm gonna say, at least on the U.S. version, but it's sorry, I like the whole thing pretty much, but I'll just say Into the Night, maybe, um, uh, and then that's about it from there, I mean, on the U.K. version, um, that's, that's a tough one, too, I think, you know, the the man with the golden arm thing kind of that's that was kind of like why why are they doing that um but i think some other you know bands or artists were doing that kind of stuff at the time i think alice cooper did something like that he did like a west side story kind of thing on
0: yeah
2: and it was on the school's out or the one of the his albums and and stuff like that and then uh, but you know i don't think they really needed to do my generation it was too soon, I think, mm-hmm. to do yep. uh, the Who. There is know? a
1: story. There, there is a story behind why they did oh,
2: that. Okay, picture. yeah. So that's 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 my pick. I mean, maybe you can tell the story about that, David. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it's just uh, Pete Townsend uh, really liked Sweet, and he actually asked them to support the Who at uh, Charlton Football Club, uh, which is quite a you know quite a famous gig of theirs. And I think it would have, you know, done them good. But unfortunately, that just beforehand, Brian Connolly got in, involved in uh, a, a pub fight, and they knew who he was. And the people who 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 were fighting with him kicked him in the throat. Oh and, no! And uh, he couldn't. He wasn't ready for the gig. But the thing is, they decided to do My Generation, and Pete Townsend had a, <clears throat> had agreed to. Um, he was going to play on it. It was going to be Sweet and Pete Townsend doing My Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then. Pete Townsend backed out of it, and they just sort to do it anyway. So, you know, it wasn't initially a throwaway track. It was going to be a bit of a sort of, oh, and Sweet have got Pete Townsend on their album, but mm-hmm. the, the actual collaboration didn't happen, and the Charlton Football Club um, stadium gig didn't happen, um, but they, they went ahead and did My Generation anyway, so that's why it's on there. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I heard that. So then
0: what would you say are your two dislikes if there's any dislikes for you on this David?
1: Well, it's tricky. Uh it's tricky because um I mean I was thinking like my my top 3 songs on the UK one would be turn it down obviously Man with the Golden Arm and Breakdown because that's great. And on the US obviously my 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 favorite three three would be um three different ones Set Me Free, Into the Night and Solid Gold Brass. And, mm. and I think uh, Into the Night, probably. To be fair, Ken, yeah. although you said you weren't really that keen on it, I think the reason I like it is I, I actually went to Mick Tuckles' funeral, oh. and um, and they played that oh, did as they? the last as the last song. Okay. In, uh, it was that mm. uh, was it was just right, and it just sounded amazing in the church. And I was just ever since then I kind of like zoomed in on that track. That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, mm. but yeah, the ones I didn't like were Lady Starlight, and mm. um, and I'd say even now. Sixteens, but it's just it's it's like I've heard it too much. It's like Sweet Child of Mine or any any <laughs> yeah, other sort you know, like, yeah. I, I've heard the Sixteens <laughs> so many times, um, and it got you sure. know even at the time it got played an awful lot. And because it was a single, I'd I'd got it and and, and I was playing it over and over and, over, and over. over. Yeah. So yeah, but really it's just it's just those two, Lady Starlight and the Sixteens, and that's and still to be honest, I would not skip them these days. Right. if I put the album on I just i'd play the whole thing yeah
0: interesting um for me the two dislikes I it, it's funny because when how I kind of picked them was because I'm still so new to the record still mm. is I figure that the ones that I can't think off the top of my head how they go are obviously not connecting with me mm. so so I kind of <laughs> took it like those are the ones I'm probably gonna say mm. are the ones I dislike so number one that i didn't like was also my generation i just kind of thought that it was like ken said i kind of agree with him i think it was kind of a early kind of cover to do considering that it wasn't that long ago that the who did that and now now i understand why you know it happened thanks to david's yeah, fantastic with on it
1: yeah,
0: yeah of yeah. course but for me the other song that kind of has kind of you know i've heard it and it hasn't registered for whatever reason and maybe it's because i'm just not clicking with it is uh I want to be committed. I don't know what it is about that song, but it's
1: just
0: not, it's just something about it is just not doing it for me. I mean, there's nothing on these records that I would say are terrible, that I would say are thumbs down completely, but, you know, that one to me is probably more on the weaker end of things.
1: I absolutely agree, and I didn't sort of say it at the time. Yeah, if I was going for my, if I was going for like my least favourite on the US version, I'd say I want to be committed. And, And it's annoying, because at the time, I remember when it, Came out on Strung Up Suite, and it also came out on the American edition. It was a track that we'd never heard in the UK, and it was like, you know what it's like when we when we realise there's a track we've not heard by our favourite band. And I I I went to the end of the earth tracking it down. And when I finally stuck the headphones on and heard it, I just remember thinking, well, this isn't very good. <laughs> it's just it's yeah, it's like a demo of a song, isn't it, really? And it's just the really hysterical vocals, and and that's why I'd say when we're talking about the UK and the US version of Desolation Boulevard, if anyone um, is watching this and they're thinking, do you know what, this sounds quite good, I'll give it a go. It won't cost you much. Just buy a copy of Sweet Fanny Adams and buy a copy of the English Desolation Boulevard. Mm -hmm. The only track you won't get is I Want to Be Committed and you're not missing anything.
0: (laughs) Very interesting that you pointed that out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because that does probably save people quite a bit and even like you said you're not missing out on a song that's all that necessary yeah. to hear right <laughs> so interesting question here and i'm very interested to hear your guys opinion on it because you're obviously more schooled in the whole sweet history and stuff like that mm-hmm. so julian put down the album is bookended album bookends the chapman chin era with give us mm-hmm. a wink mm-hmm. it saw the band become fully independent because they ditched mr chapman at that point right mm. so what are your thoughts on that do you think that it was necessary for them to ditch mr chapman and go their own way do you think that that was a good move on their part because obviously when i listened to give a give us a wink that, that there were differences in it like immediately mm. when i heard it uh, mm. as far as some of the song right the, the production of it was really much more like whoa it was much more like in your face more than some of the prior stuff that I was listening to Mm. Uh, thoughts, you know, let's go to, let's go to David. I'm curious on this. uh, We'll get over to you to Ken, to Ken, obviously, but let's go to David first. What are your thoughts on this whole abandoning Mr. Chapman?
1: Yeah. Well, at the time, uh, at the age that I was, I loved it. I enjoyed give us a wing. I enjoyed for the record, which was the next one off the record sorry <laughs> I can't believe I got that wrong off the record <laughs> um and, uh, and those two were great but they were like you say they were all um, self composed and um I in, you know in hindsight it's impossible because there's too many egos involved but they should have written together I think they should have let sweet go for the the, the metal edge that they wanted to go or the rock edge because Things now, I realise when I listen to Give Us a Wink now, and I listen to Off the Record. A, some of the lyrics are dreadful. They could really do with you know a lyric writer in there steering them the right way. Um, and uh, some of the songs either go on too long, and you sort of just know that if there was a producer, because they produced these albums themselves, the the engineer yeah. with Mac, I think, who who did all the Queen stuff, you know, Mac who worked with Queen. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And um, and and it's you know, so I do think it was a mistake. But I don't think they should have carried on letting chin chap you know they had a hit with Fox on the run they wrote that you know and then action was a hit off give us a wink and that was a that was a hit but the other the other songs now I see were quite weak but at the time I just loved it I loved it all so um yeah the the, the bottom line is I think it was a mistake and it it could have been at tall sorted which I just can't see it could have um, maybe right together you know yeah. right together.
0: Mr. Keenan
2: so yeah the the michael chapman thing where they uh i guess stopped you i mean it was it was a smart move at the beginning to have them i mean just you know great songwriter uh yeah uh obviously um and you know on the u.s version the whole first side of the album is the mike chapman chin stuff the yeah. whole second side of the album is all the band's written material. Mm. They split it up like that. I don't know why or it just, or it came out that way. Um, but as they, you know, dismissed Chapman and the band started just writing its own material. Um, I guess Chapman must've went on to back Pat Benatar, which I mentioned yeah, yeah. earlier because, uh, her first Blondie, album,
1: not, Blondie, Blondie parallel lines.
2: And Blondie, yeah, because he wrote, you know, he they used No You Don't on Pat Benatar's uh, first album. Um, they also used uh, a song, another song, If You Think You Know How to Love Me. Mm. Uh, another song, I guess it was a, I guess a, a band Smokey. Yeah, uh, yeah. They had done the that.
1: Weird is, the weird thing is, though, that Phil Wayman produced Sweet Fanny Adams, which is what No, no You Don't is off. Right, Right. So, so you'd have thought he'd have chosen one of his own produ- produced albums.
2: But yeah. yeah, so, uh, and then Mike Chapman was producing, you know, the, that Pat Benedict album, too. So, anyway, he, he went on and, obviously, to other good things. So, the I, you know, the music, um, I think it's a good thing that they um, went on to do their own stuff. It's kind of, you know, more consistent. Uh, it makes the you know, music more consistent. Uh, and, uh, and they were pretty good songwriters you know they did a good job
0: Hmm. interesting because like i said i don't know too much about the back history of it but the one thing that i'm kind of finding uh telling at least for myself is when i pop up the discography you have funny how sweet coco can be from 1971 yeah you have sweet fanny adams 74 desolation boulevard 74 give us a wink 76 off the record 77 level-headed 78 cut above the rest 1979 then you have Mm -hmm. something here called water's edge titled suite six with a different cover in the united states in 1980 Mm -hmm. and then you have identity crisis in 1982 now beyond give us a wink i didn't even have a clue of any of these records is that because by that point this was just merely a very popular band in the UK and they were a dead issue in the United States. Fill me in on this. Let's start with uh, mm. David on that.
1: Yeah. Le- level-headed is where the last time they really toured the US and, and played to decent crowds. I'm not even sure they went back after that um, because Brian Connolly was ejected or left, depending on, but he had a serious alcohol problem and um, and he messed up a very, very important gig for the record company and what have you at um i don't know santa monica civic center i think was possibly the one um and they they really played badly and and all the people looking after them in america saw it um you know brian was singing the wrong song to the wrong (laughs) tune you know and stuff like that they're just really bad and so once he'd left um to be honest cut above the rest water's edge and um identity crisis i literally just bought a box set of those albums with level headed because they were on polydor records they switched to polydor for level headed and um but i bought them because i'm a fan of mick chucker's drumming and andy scott's guitar work but they're not great they're not great they're fun to have in the car when you've got an hour journey to kill um but really i think sweet was over with level headed, that's that's my thought really. You know, off the record's pretty good, got some good good stuff on it and what have you, but it's the Connolly Brian Connolly era, the the blonde lead singer. Once he'd gone and they became a a three piece and Steve Priest took over vocals. Um yeah, no no disrespect to Steve Priest, incredible bass player. Um, and, and a very good backing singer, but yeah, not a front man, sadly. Because by that point as well, he got he got a sort of afro of ginger hair and a great big <laughs> sort of duster moustache, which I, I believe they call them in San Francisco. But you know, a great big scrubbing brush moustache, and yeah. it was just they looked awful. They just looked like musos, you know. They like they'd lost the whole sort of thing. Yeah. So I've got I've got those those very last three albums, non Connolly albums, because I'm a collector. But that's pretty. Yeah the only reason. So
0: going over to Ken here, being mm-hmm. that you are a US citizen obviously and you know being a follower of Sweet, th- did you notice that did you start finding that you know Sweet was maybe a little bit more difficult to find in the record stores after that time period? What are your thoughts? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean after Level Headed, I think um and I like Level Headed, I think but I thought the album after um was, yeah, a, a big drop-off for me uh, oh. in songwriting and so on. Uh, I think my friend had it. I guess I probably would have bought it, but he brought it over and he was playing it and I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit like, but then it's like, something's, something's not, you know, something's yeah. missing here. Yeah. So, I I ended up not even getting getting the album. Yeah. Um, after that and I I need to go back and and revisit some of those albums Uh, I haven't you know restocked all my vinyl uh, collection.
1: Identity Crisis Crisis is a good rocking album they're very final one and you'd think it would be the worst but it's it's actually you know it's a shame they were doing good stuff but their label had let go of them and I don't think they got management at that time. They had to just call it a day after that. But uh, yeah. but both um, the cut above the rest has got two different sleeves as well. One for the Americans, one for the English. As well.
2: Yeah, again, it's and they have the different you know flip flop track listings too. That the tracks are in a, you know different order between the UK and the US version. So um,
1: but and at the time, Identity Crisis was only ever released in Germany. So there's no way you'd have seen it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, you oh yeah, it. we wouldn't have seen it. I don't ever remember seeing it in uh, record
1: it's stores. Not, it's not a bad one to get if you see it for a decent amount. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll check it
0: out, yeah. Now, one more thing I'm going to ask really quickly before we wrap things up is something that I noticed on here that was very interesting is in the in the uh, wiki, they have a section here about the brief reunion, and that's of Brian Connolly, Mick Tucker, and Steve Priest. It says here, Mike Chapman contacted... Conley, Priest, Scott, and Tucker in 88 offering to finance a recording session in Los Angeles. Okay. And it said that when they got in the airport and picked them up, that they said, oh my God, you know, here comes Brian, and he was old, kind of ghostly white, and he looked terrible. And that, you know, they did a rework of Action and Ballroom Blitz. Mm. And then it became clear that Conley's voice and physical health were, you know, terrible. And consequently, the reunion attempt was aborted. Now, the thing that I find interesting about that is that when you look in the other section on the wiki, they have, like, other versions of suite, like Steve Priest's suite from 2008 to 2020. Mm -hmm. Then you go up here and it says here you have the new suite, Brian Conley's, 84 to 1997. Now, was this something that happened because after the last album like that 82 record did they have like some kind of enormous fallout and everybody was kind of battling for the name because I'm not I'm not aware of this history was that was that what kind of happened like everybody saying no no I want to continue no I want to continue no I want to continue but not
1: with each other no I can give you I don't know Ken, Ken do you know the full story on this or shall I fill in
2: no I don't know the full story so yeah go ahead okay
1: So uh, I'll try and keep it brief because it's a a bit, but basically, yeah, Brian Connolly leaves, leaving the band as a three-piece. They do three more albums for Polydor. Polydor drops them after that. They they call it a day. Everyone just decides to call it a day. By this point, Steve Priest has got married to an American lady and he's living in the States. Mm. So Andy Scott and and, uh, Mick Tucker about, I don't know, just a few years later, decide that they're going to put a version of Sweet together and they get a, a couple of sort of you know guys from sort of low 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 end sort of heavy metal bands from England sort of thing you know and they go out on tour as Sweet and uh, mm-hmm. and that's cool and then Brian Connolly decides after quite a while although he was in no fit state to do it that he also wants to so he went out as either Brian Connolly Sweet or the new Sweet i think was mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. and then BC, and then VC Sweet and Andy Scott had to go out as Andy Scott Suite. But Andy Scott Suite, to be Gosh. honest, was the only one worth seeing. Poor old Brian, he was doing holiday camps and, and things like that. Oh. It was just really sad. And, and, like, just not great musicians behind him either and stuff. So the, the Andy Scott lineup was the one to think. Much, much later, somewhere like in the 2000s, was when Steve Priest, without moving back to England, without any real sort of wanting to get somewhere with it, he just formed Steve Priest Suite got some three three heavy metalers around him and stuff. And um, I've seen YouTube clips of Steve Priest's suite. Not bad, actually. Not bad. But they only really played L.A. and and stuff like that. That's, that's where he, he was. He never came back home, basically. So there was no problem with Steve Priest's suite um, because it wasn't clashing with Andy Scott suite because Andy Scott suite didn't really play America. They were very big in Germany very good in europe and, and around britain and stuff so um you know that was it and obviously with brian and mick passed away i'm sure steve and andy just said well you stay on your side of the board you know yeah. on, on yeah. Your, your side of the atlantic and i'll stay on the yeah. you know, so that's that's if that clears it up for anybody that's yep. the chronology of what happened basically interesting okay. but, so yeah because... i've got that 1988 recording Oh my god it's it's just, it's so sad because the music is phenomenal the the instrumental that the instrumentation of it oh my god Brian Connolly's vocals mm. it's honestly it's 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 dreadful he he really has it's not just that he can't hit a, even auto tune wouldn't have hurt, wouldn't have helped him he just, <laughs> wow. it it sounded like it gargled with sort of sandpaper or something and and you can tell that they you know they really really not happy with it the beginning of um, ballroom blitz it goes are you ready steve bollocks and then, <laughs> and then i think andy and someone goes fuck off you cat <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's really bad oh, no. but um yeah <laughs> i do have it i i have those those two recordings and it's they're just sad to listen to because it would have been the, the guy the the musicians as in the instrumentation guys, the, the three of them were still really good, really, really good, you know, better than they were sort of thing. And if Brian's voice could have matched it in the same way that Ian Gillen's matched it those amount of years afterwards. Right. But the trouble is the guy, I've seen it in my own world, unfortunately, is is drink will ruin everything if you don't stop when they tell you you need to stop. Yep. Yeah. And he never did stop, you know.
0: It definitely does. And I think we can all agree that we've seen one too many of our favorite musicians go down that rabbit hole and end Mm. up, you know, in a bad way at the end of the day.
1: And a few friends, unfortunately, in my case. Yeah,
0: Mm. I agree. And, you know, I think we can all say that, you know, whether they're musicians or not. So, yeah, so I think that's uh, about it. I think we wrapped up quite a lot about yeah. this record and then some about sweet which I think is yeah. fantastic for yeah. people who are watching because people who are probably in my my state who are like new to the band will probably very much enjoy this sort of look back at the records and as you can see here we have ken and david holding up the respective pressings of the albums
1: oh no this and, uh, i was telling ken earlier on this is a confusing one this is is mm-hmm. because this is the nice original with the gatefold and the english edition yeah yes. this is also the english edition but it's a cheap one and it's like it's got no gatefold yeah. and it's got it's got the english track listing oh <laughs> really price version, yeah i've got the uh, i've got the american cd hmm. And okay. I've, got, I've got the really nice reissue CD that has yeah, that, all them, yeah. Stuff and all that sort of thing yeah. and I have also got the, um, the the sort of uh, English sort of CD but mark if you don't mind just before you go yes a couple of recommendations for people this this box set uh, the wild bunch it's called it is what it says it's it's basically it's all the sweet albums including desolation boulevard which i obviously pulled out of it plus an exclusive live album and sort of bbc sessions and stuff but it is all the the all the Connolly stuff on rca so it just hasn't got level-headed and also i think if we're talking desolation boulevard era i definitely recommend strung up sweet which is the line the live album um which is like it's disc one is a live album with with you know all the heavier stuff on it and the studio album is, is a lot of tracks such as action fox on the Run set me free misdemeanor all that sort of stuff and yeah. if you really want it I want to be committed and that's the original that I've got and this one is a new one which is like if you're like me and you'd like to get the nice 180 gram this is purple sparkle vinyl Ooh. It's, it's got a, it's, it's got a different inner sleeve as well with a, a, a picture that I mean it's just great. And finally, this is just really for other people who might be interested in stuff. If you want to know the story, that's the best book. There's a few out, blockbuster, um, but it's called Blockbuster: The True Story of Sweet, and it's by a guy called Dave Thompson. Hmm. Um, there's his name at the bottom there, Dave Thompson. There you go. Yeah. I don't know who Dave Thompson is, but he clearly knows his stuff. And I've I've written I've, I've read quite a few Sweet books that have come out by fans and stuff like that, but this is. Really comprehensive with all the tour dates, all about the tours, and um, yeah, pretty much everything you'd want to know.
2: Well, you know that that box set you showed with all the albums. That's, yeah. They're charging seven over seven hundred dollars for that in the U.S. <laughs>
0: oh what?
2: Yeah, it, it's hard to find. I think right now. I don't know. I think it. They did. They didn't press. Uh, I guess uh, it's you know it's they're not pressing well, any new, new ones of that um, wow I,
0: I believe it because um years back they had a genesis box that came out like a reissue of the certain eras of the genesis recordings mm-hmm. yeah. and now if you go on like some of these sites and try to buy them like some of the versions of it like the the blue one that has like the you know trick of the tail and uh wind and weathering like it's like, insane it's like six hundred dollars for the vinyl yeah. reissue it's like so i can understand that because I was just about to say before Ken said that, that maybe I'll go and buy that CD box that David just showed. But if it's $700 American, there's just no way in hell I'm going to be buying that.
1: That's insane. I mean, if I, yeah. see, if I see it on this side of the pond for something pretty reasonable, I'll, I'll ask you if you'd like it. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing, because I, I actually bought it for 64 pounds, which is, I don't know what $80 or something
2: sounds about right. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it was, um, well, you know, it wasn't something that I just whipped a, whipped a few sort of 50-pound notes out of my back pocket, but it was definitely worth it when you think what well, all the stuff you get in there, and, and it's already, you know, I've, I've pretty much got everything in it, but um, it's just such a lovely package, and, and it is yeah. nice to be able to, you know, hear all that.
0: Cool. Excellent. So on that really good informative note, we will end this episode. Yeah. So uh thank you all for joining us of course if you have any comments about this record and if you have any kind of things to add to it then feel free to leave your comments below or leave it on the look it's rock and roll podcast facebook site and i'm sure that we'll get back to you with some sort of comment. Well, more likely david and ken than me because like <laughs> i don't know too much about it but uh but this was a very enjoyable episode gentlemen thank you very much for coming on uh, and doing I've this with
1: me loved it. loved it i really wanted to do this one and ken knows that as well and julian knows that as well and uh, yeah, just this is this is the album that meant the most to me and the reason why i'm doing what i do now i think
0: yeah. and and just for to, just for uh, something that we should have mentioned this was actually david's pick for this episode he picked the album i
1: was going to be surprised
0: yeah so i guess we'll leave it at that thank you all for watching and uh we'll see you all very soon for another episode of look it's rock and roll podcast until then thank you and we will talk to you all much later
1: thank you for watching or listening to this episode be sure to subscribe to us
0: like us or even leave us a review you can find us and join the conversation on facebook